This multi-unit focus series of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Fantastic Services, Platinum Way Franchising, Goldstein Legal, Fishman PR and Rev PR. For more information on all of our sponsors, make sure to head over to globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi-unit month. Welcome to the multi-unit month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine, and this month I'll be taking you on a journey towards multi-unit success. Last week we covered the fundamentals of what multi-unit franchising is and why so many entrepreneurs are looking to embark on this form of expansive business ownership. This week, we continue this theme by providing some hands-on guidance that you can put into effect to get started on the right foot. We'll be joined once again by several franchising experts, each with a different background from which they can draw invaluable insight. By speaking with such a wide variety of guests, we hope that this essential guidebook of an episode provides you with a full 360-degree perspective of what it means to truly succeed at multi-unit growth. Our first guest this time around is Vince Julian, the CEO of CR Fitness, which is a major crunch fitness franchisee. With 30 crunch locations already open, CR Fitness has big plans to pursue a total of 100 operational sites, a goal that the group hopes to achieve by identifying and partnering with the right kinds of managers. Throughout our conversation, we ask Vince about how he first got into the multi-unit franchising game and why Crunch Fitness seemed like a suitable brand to align himself with. What was it about HVLP Fitness, that's high volume, low price for the uninitiated, that drew him toward this industry in particular? And perhaps more importantly, what all-important advice would he give to entrepreneurs looking to follow in his footsteps? Truthfully, I never thought that I would become part of a franchise system. I had created my own brands in the past. after you know, 30, 40 years in the business, you definitely don't have the time to uh, make a mistake with that brand. I've I've been familiar with Crunch since the late 80s, and I thought it was the most dynamic brand in the industry. And when I found out they were franchising the brand and they were going to participate in the HVLP space, um, it was more than appealing. Uh, you, You have to keep in mind that brands take a long time to build, and many are a miss. Uh, you know, as you look around the industry, you see some companies that are run very well, but the brand was clearly a miss from day one. Uh, I think Crunch, without question, uh, has positioned itself as the number one brand uh, iconically for years. Right. Okay. And uh, I know you guys at CR Fitness have got a, a goal to open 100 locations throughout um, Florida and Georgia. And I was wondering, you know, what your relationship with Crunch looks like in the sense of, you know, how supportive are they of that goal? How do they, how do they help you to, to achieve those kinds of numbers? Well, 100 clubs is a big goal, obviously. And, you know, I was one of the original franchisees within the, the Crunch brand uh, after they, you know, opened up the essential clubs. And, uh, you know, we originally thought we would build five clubs. And the unique thing that we experienced was that every club tended to perform equally across the board. The EBITDAs were uh, within 10% of one another. Um, the number of members would happen to be within 10%. And quite truthfully, I had never seen a brand uh, that was performing 
as consistently as the crunch brands. So five clubs turned into 10 to 15. And as we continued to see this brand evolve uh, with consistent numbers and consistent EBITDAs, uh, I took on a couple more partners and I said, listen, let's really take full advantage of the brand uh, and let's see where this goes. Well, here we are 30 clubs later, uh, you know, on the way to building 100 clubs. We've got some fantastic partners on board. And at the end of the day, it's got to be scalable. So to build 100 clubs takes a very strong infrastructure, which we have in place at this point in time. Crunch Corporate is supportive in a unique way. In other words, they don't have 10 operators that are building 100 clubs right now. So uh, we may be a, a one-off at this point. I think there's going to be many more to follow as they see the same things that we've experienced in the past. But it's just good communication. Uh, it's support with marketing. It's support with the equipment vendors that we're choosing to make sure that our lines are versatile enough. Um, and it's just drawing on their experience as well as, as, well as utilizing our own. Right. Okay. That's really great to hear. And obviously when you're, you know, growing at the minute, you said you've got the 30 clubs, you're going to a hundred, you know, between, between your group, you naturally couldn't uh, operate all of those single-handedly. Um, so I was wondering, you know, what, who, what kind of things do you look for when you're, you're getting that kind of team together, you know, to operate the, the individual crunch locations? Well, the partners have to be very active. Um, we're not a company that has, we have four primary stockholders in our company and they're active on a day-to-day basis from our cfo to our president me being a ceo and our operating partner every one of us uh, takes a huge workload and the truth is we want to be involved in the company on a day-to-day basis to make sure the culture is right you know when you build an organization you have to look at number one the brand Uh, the brand becomes very very important does it basically support all of your aspirations is it all encompassing Number two, the financial model. Uh, If you look around the industry today, HVLP is where the industry is growing. When you get into the mid-tiered clubs, quite truthfully, they're having a lot of difficulty. You have to understand site selection. So members of your team, you want a a multiple look at this. Uh, You don't want it being spearheaded by one individual. So when you're looking at demographic studies, you're looking at ingress, egress, you're looking at competitive heat maps. You want to spread this across the table and you want to make sure that people share your view because one or two wrong sites can slow your growth down. It can hurt your financing. You know, it it can it can put you off the road. So, you know, first of all, it does start with the partners and making sure everybody has their own level of expertise. Number two, you've you've really got to design your org chart, right? Your organizational structure, making sure that, you know, Who does marketing come up under and who does construction come up under? Uh, Who does finance come up under? Because all these things are really what's fulfilling uh, the goal to build 100 clubs. Um, And then you've got to look at your mid-tiered people. You know, do you have enough support to make sure that you can carry out all these responsibilities in a safe fashion without being reckless? Again, a lot of people really, you know, we live to, to believe that the 80-20 theory works in business. It, it really doesn't. You know, if you watch 20% of your clubs fail, uh, your glo- growth is going to be slowed, especially when the economy starts to to move in a, in a negative direction like we've seen during COVID or we've seen during the 2008 credit crisis. So maybe your lines of credit aren't always going to be uh, what they are during peak times. So you just got to make sure financially you're on solid ground. We have a very qualified CFO and 
none of our partners have chosen to take a lot of equity out of the business or a lot of money out of the business. So we live with very high bank balances. We were ready for COVID going into it, knowing that, again, after 2008, one thing that I really wanted to represent to all the partners is that let's leave the money in the business. Let's make sure that if if we're going to build a strong organization, let's put our growth first. Let's keep the money in the business to support the growth of the company. Right. Okay. And it's really great to hear that you, you know, you had that capital to be able to deal with COVID when that hit. Um, but how did that affect your, your ongoing development strategy? Because naturally I assume, you know, fitness the world over a lot of locations closed, but does it, did it sort of bring you guys to a halt on the back end in terms of developing with new franchisees or was that something that was, you know, the momentum continued there? You know, it was interesting. Uh, I was very nervous to tell you the truth. I mean, it was the first time in my career that I sat at the table and made the decision to say, uh, we're going to close down all 20 locations. We had five clubs in development at the time and uh, five clubs under construction. And, you know, when you close down your organization and you're going into an area that truthfully nobody ever seen in our lifetime, we've never seen a worldwide pandemic. Uh, So nobody could draw an experience to see the other side of this. So we, we walked through it on a day-to-day basis together. We met every day. Uh, we tried to forecast as much as we could what this was going to look like on the other side. But again, nobody's seen. Uh, how do you evolve, grow through a pandemic? How do you close all your clubs for two months through a government mandate and then reemerge? What's the competitive map going to look like? How many people are going to come out of this? And I can tell you this, we stayed very positive. We role-played it a lot. We opened our clubs in Georgia and Florida before any of the other organizations within the Crunch brand re-emerged. And everybody looked to us to see, you know, what does this look like now that we see Georgia opening? What does this look like now that Florida's opening? And ironically, we set record numbers. Uh, The first month we reopened, we sold over 13,000 memberships. Uh, There was a lot of pent-up demand. It was interesting that this, unlike 2008, where it was a financial crisis, this was a health crisis. Uh, So people knew that outside of a vaccine, they had to build up their immune system. They didn't want to, they were tired of gaining weight and sitting at home and, you know, watching TV. So our clubs uh, came back very, very strong. Uh, We didn't miss a beat. We opened not only those five clubs, but we have 15 new clubs in development at this point in time. And again, I think the, the the difference was we paid our people during the pandemic. Uh, we let everybody know who we really were. You know, you can tell people that you're a great company. Uh, you can show it in meetings and you can show it through new growth. But, you know, paying your people when you're down on your back makes a big statement. It creates a culture that we never had the opportunity to present to our people before. Yeah, no, that's really great to hear. And that brings us quite nicely onto the the last question I have for you, Vince, um, which is just whether you have any advice that you would give to entrepreneurs or perhaps franchisees at the moment who are looking to follow in your footsteps in a sense, you know, they want to become a, a bigger partner with the brand they're currently working with, they want to develop more locations. How would you, you know, recommend that people go about making that step from maybe more of a, a single unit operator to a much more expansive um, part of a brand? Put your team first. I mean, at the end of the day, I've owned three different organizations and a business owner has a temptation during the good times uh, to take more money out of the company. Uh, Keep the equity in the business. Look to the long term. Don't rely on banks to be your partner solely. Um, Make sure that at some point in time, you're not trying to over leverage your company. Example of that is look at 2008. 
so many companies were over leveraged and you know growth was abundant but at the end of the day when the banks decided that they couldn't fund anymore look at how many people went out of business we went into this crisis with over 10 million dollars in the bank and we were able to self-fund all the way through it we were able to pay our people all the way through it uh coming out of covid we didn't have lenders lined up to do equipment loans so I think you've got to be aware of the fact that there's going to be another crisis of some kind or another. Uh, it could be a financial crisis. It could be another pandemic. But y you can't look at these things as one-offs. They're going to occur. And the banks are going to pull back when they do occur. So you have to be ready to self-fund. Number two, share the wealth. Share the stock. Don't try to do this on your own. Millennials want to be a part of something. You know, everybody says that millennials are the hardest group to take to the top, and they're not. They may be the easiest. They're smart. They want to be engaged. They want to know the whys. Why do I do this? Not only how. It's not like baby boomers, you know, just stay in line and one day you'll get there. They don't want to stand in line. I mean, they carry a supercomputer in their hand all day. They know a lot about what's going on. And Bring them into uh, ownership positions if they're qualified. Bring them into stock op option positions if they're qualified and they have a tremendous capacity to lead. Number three, make sure you've got a diverse team of professionals uh, and be willing to pay for it. You know, again, a lot of people, I've seen many operators who do a phenomenal job, but the one thing that they lack is the capacity to grow because they just don't have the depth. Uh, our depth chart is significant. And I've made the mistake of being a single owner and being a little bit greedy and trying to hold on to more of the stock. In this case, I didn't. Uh, we were poised for growth right from the beginning. And by bringing additional partners on, not just lower level tiered employees, uh, that's what spurred our growth. That's what helped us through the crisis. And that's what's gonna take us from 30 to 100 locations. One useful takeaway from our conversation with Vince was that leaving money in the business allowed CR Fitness to persevere throughout the coronavirus pandemic. It can be tempting to act with spontaneity when your organisation begins bringing in big numbers, but staying disciplined is an almost guaranteed way to stay afloat during times of unforeseen hardship. After all, who could have predicted that a global virus would shut down the fitness industry for over a year? We mentioned it in our last episode, but you'll be hearing a lot of our guests throughout this series emphasising the importance of people and putting your team first. The figures driving CR Fitness are certainly impressive, but they would be irrelevant were it not for the specially selected team alongside Vince that continues to propel the organisation's portfolio every day. The idea of a strong team is perfectly encapsulated with our next guests, Anton Skarlatov, CEO of Home Repairs Franchise Fantastic Services, is joined by Jenny Farrenden, Franchise Marketing Director for the brand. Together, the duo tell us all about the development of Fantastic Services as a unique spin on the multi-brand approach and what kind of entrepreneurs they're looking for when continuing to grow. I mean, the opportunity uh, with Fantastic is um, great. I mean, in our level that what we can offer is a multiple services into our platform. And um, we're looking for individuals that we're not going to take just on one service, but they will take on a multiple services. And I think that's, that's what the opportunity um, is there with Fantastic. I'll give a little example, like uh, lots of um, other, uh, especially working franchise uh, businesses, they offer just one service, uh, you go there and do oven cleaning, 
you go with them and do a carpet cleaning. With us, you buy a cluster of services, and then on this cluster of services, you can actually add more services. Because what Fantastic does is we do all the household-related services. And we are the, one of the most uh, and top household brands in, in London and surrounding areas. Right. Okay. So am I right in thinking then that, um, you know, as becoming a Fantastic Services franchisee, you are automatically becoming a multi-brand franchisee because Fantastic Services is made up of these multiple different, um, you know, specific brands, which culminate in the, in the wider network? Let's call it a multi-brand, as, as, you, um, as you said it. Um, we, we call it a multi-service. Because for us, a brand is just one. That's fantastic services. Right. Uh, but the services under fantastic services, uh, there are over uh, 60, we can call them even 100, if we separate them in a small, small group of services. Because we have a big service as a gardening, but then we can have a small layers of services under this, like jet washed or plumbing. We always go down the tree of the services. And, and that's, how, that's how we see them. And uh, yes, if um, someone comes and starts with us, then they, they will uh, become a multi-brand uh, owner. Right, okay. Um, are there any sort of uh, opportunities within that network um, for things like cross-brand synergy or promotions? You know, How do the various services offered by Fantastic Services coincide with one another? Well, that's, that's a very good question. Um, uh, yes, well, that's exactly how the brand is built. I mean, uh, we've started as a, as a, a general cleaning company and then we saw the demand uh, of all the other services. I mean, our clients, as long as they were happy with the service, they needed to buy another service from us, you know, because they, they needed a trust provider that they can rely on uh, doing some another, another work in their house. And that's how we added more layers of services. We had the gardening, we had the handyman, we had the builder, we had the plumbing, we had the electrician, and all, over, all the other services. And, and that's how... Um, once we enter someone's home, we can um, actually advertise the rest of the brands. And that's what's uh, happening between the owners of the multi-brands in our, in our portfolio. They actually advertise each other to doing a good job. And as long as someone first enters, and if you need a handyman, a handyman enters your house, but then they will turn into a cleaning once they need it. And that's how we advertise uh, internally into our clients. But uh, we've also have another product that we've built, uh, which is the Fantastic Club. And that's um, and a membership program that our clients use um, in order to get even uh, more benefits from our services. And, uh, and just uh, out of curiosity, how did Fantastic Services grow in the sense that when you added on these additional services for clients, was that a case of, you know, clients coming to you and asking, do you provide this? And you didn't at the time. And so you then incorporated it. Or was it more, you know, the other way around, in which case you guys sort of researched ahead of time and sort of worked out what kind of areas people were looking for? That's how it is. Exactly. We, we started with people asking us, but then uh, and start adding services. But then we say, well, why don't we ask our clients? And say, well, what else do they need? And to just asking them before um, and, and building more and more services on the top before they even start um, generally thinking about them, like we, we start adding this to our portfolio. Right? And came, um, what I'm saying is it came both ways. You know, it came from the client and it came from, from us. Uh, but again, even from us, but again, thinking about what our client will need. Because if our client 
is um, a busy professional, then they will need a particular service. But in some other uh, big part of our clients, they are small landlords, or they will need a different services from us. And that's how we build our portfolio of services. Right. Okay. And um, when you're looking for, you know, to expand the fantastic service network from a franchisee point of view, uh, what kind of, you know, personal attributes or business experience do you guys think that uh, franchisees need to possess to be able to manage this multi-service network? Because it's quite a bit, you know, it's quite a bit of a, a bigger undertaking, for example, than just running one restaurant. It seems, you know, there are different elements towards that. Well, you, you mentioned a restaurant and I have to say, well, that's probably the hardest business that someone can get in. <laughs> right. I know. Um, I, don't, I, th- I think getting into Fantastic, it's much easier. And the way how we build it, uh, we make it actually very, very easier for someone uh, to develop a different services or develop an area where there's no even a, any presence of Fantastic and there hasn't been any presence before that. Because what we saw in the franchising um, and what some of the franchises, um, um, franchisors were lacking is the ability to give um, all the tools that the successful business needs. And we've created all these tools for our um, uh, franchisees. What the business needs? We need, well, the business needs a marketing company, right? They need somewhere where they can rely on marketing company and, and buy the marketing from them. And that's, that's why we've created a marketing part of Fantastic, where we can build all the uh, marketing for our franchisees. Then we turn with a new era, what, what comes is technology. What do we need is way to optimize our work and way to manage our work in a more sufficient way. Because we can see it now, all these platforms comes and, and delivery is there and, and, and Uber and everyone else and everyone's have a one button and they click and, and you know where, uh, where your provider is. And we all get used to it. I mean, now when my delivery doesn't arrive on time, I want to look at the app. I want to see my text messages. I want to see how it comes. And the same way, um, all the services, the cleaning and gardening and, and plumbing, they need, to, they need to adapt in the same way. And we've built a platform, same as, as the Uber platform, same as Deliveroo, and a way how our franchisees can manage their stuff. And on the other side, we also, one of the, what I saw with my previous small business is the one of the most inefficient way is uh, in the business is your call center. Because what you probably have to have at least 12 people in your call center to become some kind of efficient. But that's, that's a decent sized business. We're talking about like two to five million pounds business to have such, such, a, such a number of people in your um, office. And we say, okay, well, what, how, what else we can help you? where we consolidate all our franchisees to work together with one call center, which is specifically trained to answer the calls in a way how we want. And that's how we build uh, one of the strongest and the most efficient sales machine. And the same way, our customer service part is very, very strong as well, because like, you don't want really a franchisee to, uh, to take the call when he's on the road and doing another job and deal, dealing with clients. We'd rather send them to a call center, someone who is trained and know how to handle the calls. Because these days, that's what customers need. If they call a call center now, lots of the call centers and customer services in this country is getting, going to a really high level. And that's, that's what we provide to our, um, these franchises in order to make their life very easy. And they can start all these multiple brands and look how to gain more and more clients um, into their portfolio. 
Right. So yeah, it sounds like you take a lot of the the uh, the admin and kind of the things that people don't really want to worry about yep. and deal with that for them, which is really great to hear. Um, so when just the, the last thing we talked about, Anton, is when people are expanding their presence within the Fantastic Services Network, you know, you've got a franchisee, they've seen the system works, they like the support you're offering, and they want to kind of become more ingrained within the, the network. Um, do they, you know, how's that work? Do they look at um, acquiring further regions or is it more they take on bigger brands? How does a franchisee grow within the franchise, uh, the fantastic services system? Oh, well, that's, that's the people what we need. We need the franchisees that they want to grow. Uh, you know, we're looking for specific type of uh, entrepreneurs, real kind of people that they would like to follow the system, they understand the power that they get from fantastic, but they would like to grow together with us and to develop more. And earlier I spoke with um, Jenny and she, she's got some uh, stories and she knows some of them, our franchisees, how they've grown. And I think Jenny can uh, add up a little bit more here. Yeah, Jenny, any sort of examples of that? Yeah, uh, the question that we get uh, all the time uh, about multi-brand and how does it relate to our brand is obviously there are certain similarities in the way that um, you have to develop more than one service within a particular area and that is very similar to developing multiple brands. And as a matter of fact, some of our best uh, area developer franchisees um, already have tried with a different brand or they have an existing small business and some of them have more than one franchise. Uh, the great thing is that uh, after they start with us, uh, they very quickly see the benefit of adding an additional service as opposed to getting a, a different business in. And the reason is that they complement each other. Um, when you have more than one service within an area, um, that what that really adds up is just more services into your portfolio in a way that you can help the client better. It, as Anton said, um, our services are designed from the perspective of the customer and from the perspective of the franchisee because the customer wants to have more than one service they want to they want to ch choose the provider they already trust and from the franchisee perspective that just adds them more sustainability um, it, it really helps them with the seasonality factor of some services and they just have the ability to provide more to the customer so it really benefits everybody in the entire network now, we, we have a franchisees that um, once they enter the system, because we, we have a training period about a month to three months, and during this period of time, when they see what we provide as a support and as a training and, and how strong is the brand, they actually they haven't started yet, but they want to buy uh, more services and they want to add uh, more services to their portfolio. That's the best endorsement you could hope for, really, isn't it? That people are trying to expand before they've even joined the network. It sounds like then that Fantastic Services is almost, you know, an alternative to what we'd see traditionally as multi-brand, but almost a more convenient one where entrepreneurs don't need to worry about, you know, um, sticking to the, the necessities of multiple franchise networks, but instead grow within this singular one um, that they're used to and, you know, are aware of how supportive you guys are. As Jenny touched on at the end there, Fantastic Services is a fitting alternative for entrepreneurs who are looking for a streamlined approach to multi-brand franchise ownership. 
While the franchise owes many possible offerings, each appear as distinct investment opportunities, having them all under the One Fantastic Services banner allows franchisees to better assist any possible clients. This also promotes quick and easy scaling up. Once an entrepreneur has entered the Fantastic Services network, they can develop their own personal business portfolio much easier than somebody starting from scratch. Our final interviewee on this advice-centric episode of the podcast provides yet another alternative look at multi-brand franchise ownership. Scott Roher, an authority brands franchisee with three distinct concepts under his belt, didn't initially set out in pursuit of multi-brand franchising. Instead, his family's independent businesses ultimately converted into a more cohesive, franchise-aligned portfolio. This way, Scott's organisation could utilise the benefits that came with being a member of the Authority Brands franchise family, but they could also retain the strong sense of customer service that got them going in the first place. It was a win-win, and the journey has allowed Scott to understand the importance of adeptly managing a multi-brand portfolio. Yeah, so the decision really initiated back in 2003. Uh, we were part of an affinity group that had the vision of a franchise. And I distinctly remember my father and I traveling together to an event. And, you know, we were a 45-year-old family business and the transition was starting to begin. And he asked me, you know, what are my thoughts? And knowing, you know, what the future looked like as a family business and also seeing how the market was changing around us, I made the decision at that point that I wanted to invest in a franchise and really move to the next level, not only for the family, but the employees and really the marketplace and kind of take our business to a new level. Uh, at that time, you know, we entered into the one hour in the Ben Franklin franchise and then add the Mr. Sparky franchise a few years later. But it's really been an uphill great move, in my opinion, since we did that. We've seen extreme growth. We've seen a number of employees be able to fill their future and get into new levels of leadership and things like that. And it's really been exciting. And then as Authority Brands took over those brands a few years ago, they just have elevated the game even higher. Uh, it's really an asset to the team and really an asset to all of us as we're trying to grow these brands into a national, you know, top of mind awareness, something that, you know, when somebody needs HVAC, plumbing, electric, our three brands are the ones they're going to look to. Right. Okay. And was there a particular mental change for you in the sense of, you know, going from maybe being a bit more hands-on uh, with the family business to now I'm assuming, you know, where your portfolio has grown through authority brands, are you more of a, you operate more of a managerial role across that portfolio? Yes. My roles over the years have changed considerably from being a technician into the field where now I am more overseeing my leadership team and meeting with them and not really digging into the hands-on and the day-to-day -day operations. Right. Okay. And uh, I know obviously your brands are all under the home services kind of banner, um, but are there any particular challenges that come with managing those multiple franchise brands as opposed to maybe if you just had, let's say, a, a Benjamin Franklin Plumbing or a Mr. Sparky? Um, are there any challenges in you know keeping a hold on that entire portfolio? The biggest challenge we have realized is when we have that customer being that all three of our brands are so closely knit together, that really every division that goes out to that customer has the other division's best interest in mind as well. Because if we do that customer wrong in any way, the chance that they leave the other businesses 
is very high. So it really puts a extreme pressure on each division to make sure they are doing the best in the customer's mind and doing a great job for that customer. That way there's no chance to lose it for everybody. Right. I suppose, yeah, that works both ways, isn't it? Whereas, you know, if they have a bad experience, maybe they wouldn't work with the other brands, but equally, if you do service them uh, quite well, then they'll come back to you again. Uh, and I was wondering how much of your your kind of revenue, or at least your, you know, uh, client base is made up of um, customers who have maybe used one of your brands and then come to another. Are there opportunities for cross promotion across your portfolio? What does that look like? We do a lot of cross promotion and we train our technicians very well that when their customer's home, make sure we're looking at the plumbing if we're there for HVAC and looking at the electrical and letting the customers realize we can service all their home systems is one business and really take care of them in a wholeity. And that way they don't have to call multiple people and they can get the same level of service they got with that technician today in the other divisions and brands. Right. Okay. And what does your um, relationship with authority brands look like nowadays in which, you know, in the sense, do do they assist with you broadening your portfolio? Have they assisted greatly over the past year with coronavirus, which I imagine, of course, like you, uh, many others has impacted you? Um, what does that relationship look like? We have a great relationship with authority brands and the, the franchisor and, you know, the leaders inside there, you know, from our town hall meetings that we have once a month to our franchise business consultant to reach out, wonder how we're doing. Is there any way they can help us? Is there ways they can help us move our strategies forward? You know, as you mentioned, coronavirus, you know, that was a new thing that all of us had to navigate and really none of us knew how best to navigate that. So there was a lot of webinars, a lot of conference calls, really giving us advice and insight. How do we navigate this well? How do we do a good job for our employees, a good job for our customers? in the midst of a pandemic that none of us had to deal with before. So it really was a huge asset in the last year, year and a half as we navigated all that together. You know, not just from the people side, from the legal side and all those different aspects. Right, okay, and on the theme of um, advice and guidance, uh, what would your advice be to entrepreneurs who are maybe looking to either continue down the journey you went from where they're an independent operator to partnering with a franchisee or maybe operators who are managing one unit or one you know, brand at the moment and want to expand that out into a more multi-unit or multi-brand approach? What, what would you say are the, the key learnings you'd share with them? The key learnings that I've learned is, is we added brands that are of the same kind of marketplace. In other words, we're all home services to make sure what we're adding is an asset to the other divisions and not a detriment. There was recently something we thought of adding and just decided through some advice that that might not be the best thing. Let's focus on what we're doing. As we look at, you know, a multi-brand franchise, if it's in maybe home services and then picks up something outside that, I think that could be a very nice add-on that would not interrupt what you're doing inside that particular market you're already in. That is a concern of ours that you know, as we pick up brands, if everything is a home service related, how much can the customer digest if we keep hitting them with a new service and a new service as we continue to grow? I think there's a limit to that, how much we can keep tapping that same customer. Right. So yeah, you're looking for those really positive synergies, but you don't want to saturate your own market or, you know, cannibalize your own business, um, which is some, some really sage advice, I think, for, for entrepreneurs.
All three of our conversations today have highlighted the importance of taking a measured approach. For CR Fitness, that meant keeping capital within the organization so that it could be used in times of unpredictable challenge. For Fantastic Services, that meant examining what the market demanded and adapting the franchise's business model to suit. And for Scott Roher's Authority Brands portfolio, that meant taking careful steps not to cannibalize your own potential market. Just because there's the option to take on another brand doesn't necessarily mean that it works within your existing portfolio. And with that, we've reached the end of yet another installment in this multi-unit month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast. By examining the stories behind these three franchise organizations, we hope you've been able to extract some of their key learnings to enact within your own growth journey. As we've learned, multi-unit and multi-brand franchising can be an incredibly lucrative model, provided that it's approached from a careful and proactive standpoint. Next week, we'll be looking at the law, specifically the legal and regulatory requirements that both multi-unit franchisees and franchisors need to be aware of. We'll also touch on the key countries in which multi-unit franchising thrives and the regions that can be more trouble than they're worth. New episodes of the Multi-Unit Month Takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast are being released every Friday throughout May, so make sure to subscribe via Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and visit globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi-unit month to keep up to date with the latest bespoke content. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.